1: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This week, a special edition looking at the life of Ronnie O'Sullivan, who turns 40 this week, a milestone for him. And we're going to look back on his great career, five world titles, and all the rest. Sometimes controversial, often brilliant, Ronnie O'Sullivan at 40. Clive Everton alongside me, the editor of Snooker Scene, to look at Ronnie's life and career. The first thing to say, I guess, Clive is that Ronnie was born at the right time. He grew up in the 1980s in the British snooker boom. He lived in Essex where there was a thriving scene and very quickly he made an impact, didn't he? Well, he made his first century
0: when he was 10. Uh, He was blessed with uh, a phenomenal degree of hand-eye coordination. Uh, He had a father who had the money to provide him with uh, his his own snooker room. So, these were very valuable aids uh, in, in his early career. Um, but however much natural ability uh, anyone has, and no no one uh, has more than Ronnie, you've still got to work very, very hard on your game uh, to make the most of it.
1: Yeah, this is sort of snooker's nature versus nurture, isn't it? It's uh, how much is natural and how much is hard work. The, the truth is it's a bit of both.
0: Yeah, uh, I I, th- I think that... The, the the genius is expressed uh, in bursts of uh, of inspiration. Uh, underlying it is the hard work. Not so much in the days before a tournament, but over a period of years, where you 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 just uh, cement that hand eye coordination.
1: The central relationship, of course, was with his father. And t- when we look at his career, for good and bad, certainly for good at the start, because his father you read his books, you'll know, instilled in him quite a, a, a severe work ethic, but also a lot of confidence. He, he had a great confidence in himself, didn't he, Ronnie Sullivan, as a young child?
0: Well, he was so good, he was entitled to have some confidence. <laughs> uh, uh, I think his, his father was quite a hard taskmaster. If Ronnie won something, he would say, well, that's history now, it's the next one that, that, that counts. Maybe he overdid, he overdid it a bit, I, I, I don't know, because... The, the lasting legacy of that is that Ronnie has at times been excessively self-critical. It's fine to be aware uh, of, of your failings, but but at times Ronnie has been uh, uh, absurdly self-critical.
1: Sometimes we hear about stories about kids coming through and, and boys who are good at snooker and predictions are made they're going to be world beaters, and they're not always. But O'Sullivan made an immediate impact, didn't he, when he turned pro, he won all those... Qualifying matches at the Norbrek, and it was clear very early on that he was the real deal.
0: Well, he won 70 out of 72, his first 72 matches as a, as a, as a professional. Uh, it, it was absolutely obvious that he was going to be very big. Uh, when he was 16, he, he looked as if he was about 21. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was just, his talent was so precocious. Uh, nobody had ever see, seen anything quite like this in, in a young player before there had always been good young players but this was something extraordinary
1: but then the first sign of trouble came didn't it because he qualified for the crucible and then immediately his father was sent to, to prison for life um, and all this was happening in the public eye Ronnie had become already quite well known very difficult to deal with well, it, it, it's
0: hard enough to deal with what I call the ordinary pressures of a of a sporting career, but this was this was truly terrible for Ronnie because he and his father were, and indeed are, uh, uh, so close. Um, Ronnie uh, said how eerie um, the, the, the house uh, felt, um, how eerily empty it felt on the, the day after uh, Ronnie Senior's trial, um, and. It was it was like a, a dislocation of, of the spirit that Ronnie experienced when his father went inside,
1: and that event inevitably did lead to some pretty dark moments for him. And I wanted to talk to you about the, the depression that he suffered from. We we hear more about this uh, condition now than maybe we did twenty years ago, but it's still it's not like you know you've got a broken leg or, or even you know cancer. You, you know someone's ill depression you can't necessarily see can you and I think a lot of people a lot of the time just think Ronnie's sort of just a bit of a moaner well
0: I, I don't think so uh, I, I suffered from depression myself and it, it's it's an awful bleak feeling uh, you can't take any pleasure in, in, in anything you, you can't imagine almost the possibility of, of, of pleasure it just the world just seems so bleak and black uh, and R- Ronnie suffered from that I- in
1: spades. So, uh, how, how does how does it affect his sort of playing career? Is it, it that you know is it a torment and nothing really sort of matters to him? Even he can't take joy from from winning. Can't take joy from winning. Can't can't
0: really feel that it's all that important. He just wants to go away and uh, sort of uh, hole up somewhere.
1: Mm. And. The sort of offshoot of that is the, the sort of controversies. The first, I suppose, the first big one was at the, the World Championship in 1996 when he assaulted Mike Ganley, who was then the, the press officer, and uh, was lucky, really, I think, not to have been thrown out of the tournament. There was a sort of late night meeting, wasn't there, and John Higgins didn't know even if he was going to be playing the next day.
0: Well, it, it, it was pretty obvious um, what uh, the sponsors' embassy wanted, it was pretty obvious what the BBC wanted. And um, he, he was not thrown out of the tournament. Uh, and uh, John Higgins um, had to play him at ten o'clock the following morning.
1: What's interesting about that is you look at footage of, of that in '96, and Ronnie he's quite sort of bloated. He doesn't look good at all. A year later, when he makes the, the maximum against Mick Price, the one in five minutes twenty seconds, he looks great. He's lost a lot of weight. He's clearly been been exercising and that's the thing isn't it you know he's had some dark moments but because of his talent and because of how well he plays nugger he's always managed to bounce back
0: yes um he he's his depressions i think as time went on and he, he did see a, a number of specialists in that in that era some of whom helped him some some not so not not so much i think his his depressions didn't come as often and didn't last quite so long, but he still had he still had
1: them. The question, that I guess, snooker fans would like answered is what is he like? So, what is he like?
0: I- I've always thought that Ronnie was a very warm individual. I've never known him do something really mean. His <coughs> faults, faults of thoughtlessness, uh, it, 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 more than more, more than anything else. Um, he knows how good he is. Uh, he, he, he expects to be treated right, as he would see it. Um, and I, I always look forward to seeing to seeing him play. Uh, he, he, he's very he's a, he's a very good loser. I've, I've never heard him really quibble uh, over uh, anything that's gone wrong in, in, in a match. Um, he, he's a good sportsman.
1: I think one thing about him is he, he kind of doesn't have a filter. He says what he thinks. Most people, certainly most snooker players, when they talk to, say, the media, you can see they are thinking, what should I say, what shouldn't I say. I don't think that's ever been an issue with him. He will just say what, what's on his mind, which sometimes lands him in trouble, but I think speaking as journalists, we find, we think that's great.
0: Uh, I, I rather warm to it, I have to say.
1: Let's look at some of his uh, some of his great victories. I suppose the first one was the when he was just 17, just the week before he was... Turned eighteen, he won the UK Championship against Stephen Hendry. There's two things there. One, it's the UK Championship, but to beat Hendry, of course, at the time was the king of snooker. Again, it reaffirmed the fact that you know he was a genuine champion. This wasn't some fluke. He was here to stay.
0: Yes, uh, he showed astonishing maturity. I remember Hendry saying at the time that he, he, he expected him to sort of miss a few when the pressure came on, but but he didn't. It never happened. He just just won it.
1: And I guess so he's won that and people are thinking, well, he's going to be world champion very soon. It took him a little while, actually. John Higgins was world champion before him. Mark Williams was world champion before him. I guess the crucible is a completely different test. And certainly if your mind isn't right and you've got problems, it can be very difficult to last the course. But he did eventually in 2001. It was uh, the fulfilment, I guess, of, of a destiny, wasn't it?
0: Well, yes, we can say that here. It, didn't, it wouldn't have felt like that to him. Uh, I, I think he felt that he, he, he ought to win it, and he ought to win it soon. But the pressure of expectation uh, was, was enormous. And the first year that he did win it, uh, he, he needed Prozac to get him to the starting line. He was on the, he was on the phone to the, to the Samaritans before his first match. I think, I think w- w- with Ronnie, it, it, it's the thoughts of a match w- which do him in. Once he's actually in the match... he's usually all right.
1: I remember he said about that, that before the final session, they had a parade of champions, which is fair enough, people like to see them, but they also included Jimmy White, because they said, oh, he's the people's champion. Of course, he was never world champion, and Ronnie was sort of observing this from backstage, and he said himself, he said, "I I never wanted to be like that, I didn't want to come out and get the sympathy, round of applause, I wanted to do it properly, and of course... He has gone on and done it properly. He beat John Higgins in that final. I'm going to talk about he sort of I guess, a three-way rivalry really, with the, the class of '92 himself, John Mark Williams, three outstanding talents, very different men, not necessarily all best pals, but terrific respect between them. Just talk about that rivalry, Clive. You know, three exceptional players.
0: Well, we, we, have, we have O'Sullivan, who is the most technically accomplished player. Uh, the game has ever seen uh, that the most inspirational, uh, his best when he's really flying is is can't can't be matched by anyone else. It's not just what he does, but the manner of the doing it. Uh, we have John Higgins, who is the supreme percentage player. You will never see John Higgins play a wrong shot, um, and we have Mark Williams, who uh, is. <coughs> Is a great is a great competitor, uh, one of the best uh, long potters the game has ever seen, a great scrapper, a great winner of scrappy frames. Um, and um, the, the the three of them have had a, a very interesting rivalry over the years with the first one and then the other
1: getting the upper hand. And they're all multi-champions, but of course what they've also done is they've all stopped each other winning even more. I mean, you look at their career tallies, you think, well, anyone would take this as a, as a career record, but could have been different, if even if there was one fewer of them in, involved in the mix. You know, Ronnie could have won eight world titles, maybe.
0: Well, that's, that, that's certainly a thought.
1: He's won five as it stands... And uh, I think one of the things about them is that the finals that he won, the Higgins one was reasonably close, but the others weren't. And that means they're not necessarily that memorable. We know that he beat Graham Dott, beat Ali Carter a couple of times. That was a little bit closer, but he never really looked like he'd lose. He was pushed quite hard by Barry Hawkins, who played well in that final. But again, you you always sort of fancied that Ronnie would win. And then, of course, eventually what happened was he lost one to Mark Selby. And I wanted to talk about players he doesn't necessarily like playing Against they all tend to be of a type, don't they? They're, they're the players who play a markedly different game to him.
0: The grinders.
1: Yes, uh,
0: yes. Uh, Selby is a very high class grinder. I've I, I've got to say, and uh, he he's beaten uh, Ronnie more times than Ronnie would like. That's for that's for sure. And and he's beaten him from losing positions as well.
1: Is it is it just a mental thing? He goes into the match. Sort of not feeling good because he knows it's the sort of snooker he doesn't like.
0: I, I, I don't think so. I think I think it's as the match deve- as the match develops and and he gets worn down by it. Uh, sometimes it comes into play then.
1: Let's talk about his style of play. I mean, the one thing that people always talk about is the, the the right and left handed the ambidextrousness, which I think over the years we've sort of taken for granted. I mean, when he first did it, he he, he did it against Alain Robertu, didn't he, at the Crucible. I think 96 and it's fair to say Elaine wasn't too impressed because he thought he was sort of taking the mickey out of him.
0: Well he, he, he did he did think that and uh, I think a few other people did as well because they'd never seen him play left handed and they didn't realise how, how, how good he was left handed but uh, the, he, he, he really put it into play uh, to maximum uh, effect when he played Peter Ebden in the, the final of the um, uh, of the Matchroom League one year where he played almost every shot left handed I mean, Ebden w- wasn't impressed at all, but uh, there's no arguing with the
1: score. Well, I was going to say, if you, if you can do it, what's the problem? I mean, obviously it helps with certain shots, it helps when you have to get the rest down and so on, but if you are that talented, and like you say, you win, why should the other player really object to it?
0: Well, out of
1: surprise, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, as a player then, I mean, this, it seems like an obvious question really, but what are, what are Ronnie's strengths?
0: well he he's immensely fluent uh he's he's a joy to watch i i i liken it almost to a, a first class lyric of a of a song that there's 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 a there's a melody to it almost and and the 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 words drop, drop in just the right place um he, he's he's just a joy- a joy to watch when he, when he's going well
1: well, you mentioned Peter Ebden, and of course, they had that famous match at the Crucible uh, 10 years ago, now 2005, the quarter final, where Eb- Ebden slowed up and slowed up and slowed up, and Ronnie basically went to pieces, didn't he? I mean, w- what do you think about that? Some people would say, well, he should cope with it. Why should Ebden play to Ronnie's strengths? He should play to his own. Not everyone would agree with that, I know.
0: Sad, sad to say, that the problem was the referee, uh, the, the late Colin Brindon, a very, a very good bloke and a very good referee. But he should have stepped in because uh, the, the time, the amount of time that Ebden was taking over many shots was was grossly excessive, and uh, I, I think uh, he would have put anybody off. Uh, never mind Ronnie.
1: But not everyone would have. D- drawn blood from their forehead by scratching their nails across it not everyone would have been sort of standing on the chair at one point i mean he, he did go in a big way didn't he? he
0: he did but but afterwards he 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 refused to criticize Ebden. He, he said you know he, he's got he's got a wife and kids he's got to do what he's got to do you know which which i thought was was very sporting of him
1: yeah he, he there's a lot he could have said wasn't there but uh, I wonder sometimes whether he's sort of bothered about records. I think maybe the closer you get to breaking records the more bothered you are but it, it strikes me he's never really been one to sort of study the history books and worry about all that he just he, it's just about playing
0: yes uh, and the, and the the feeling he gets from playing at his best that, that that's what he's after he, he's He's not one for grinding out results in in second gear
1: of course famously he took a year off um after winning the 2012 World Championship, he played one match in a PTC and then there was the big soap opera, is he going to come back or not he did, he won the World Championship there's two things about that, one an incredible achievement and the second is that BBC Sports Personality of the Year didn't didn't think it was worthy of any sort of comment let alone a nomination I, I think the the BBC's
0: attitude to snooker is very odd they're quick to say that oh it's very successful, gets good figures but they don't treat snooker and snooker's heroes the same as they treat uh, the heroes of other sports
1: because traditionally going into the Crucible the, the, the fav, favoured players are the ones who've done well that season and they've had form under their belt they've had matches under their belt he had one match under his belt which he actually lost so put it into perspective in, t- in terms of achievement how, how big that was to win the world championship having not played basically
0: put it this way I can't see anybody else d- 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 doing that uh, he um, I think Ronnie has this innate belief in himself. If, if, even on just a few weeks' preparation, not having played any matches, if he feels good in himself, he would think, "I know how to play this game. I'm, I'm, I'm actually,
1: inwardly, I'm better than these guys. Mm. You know, I can win this." I think a lot of the other players think that as well. I mean, that's the, the other thing, isn't it? Players who play him are playing Ronnie O'Sullivan, it's inescapable, and, and if you make a mistake, you know who's coming to the table and what he can do. Well, they,
0: they say that once you're at the table, your opponent can't do anything about it, but <laughs> if he's in your mind, then in a way he is doing something about it, and uh, I think uh, only his nearest rivals uh, have, have managed to sort of cope with this particular problem.
1: I suppose there's a, there's a question here which may be impossible to answer, but why is he so good? What, what, what is it about him, his personality, that makes him that good at, at something which a lot of people in the world play and a lot of people reach a certain standard and, and never improve at?
0: Well, even with all his natural ability, his natural hand-eye coordination, he, he's sought out uh, advice from from anybody anybody he can, Ray Reardon did quite a bit. I think for the tactical side of his game, uh, he he's had he's been to various technique coaches. He, he he's always wanting to to improve. It, it, it may seem odd because he he starts he starts at such a such a high base, but he he he's he's actually fascinated by the game and and its technique.
1: He often says that he was better when he was a teenager. Can that really be true or is he sort of harking back to maybe a maybe a happier time?
0: I I think he's harking back to 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 a happier time and he was very good and I think there have been times when he's been uh, struggling in his adult career through uh, uh, off-table issues, where he I- could say quite legitimately that that uh, he, he, he was he was better when he was uh, when he was in his teens, particularly in sort of break potting, break building, the the those part those parts of the game. He's an
1: incredibly high-profile British sporting figure, but it seems to me he's never. Wanted to be a celebrity, you know. He doesn't go to all the nightclubs where the paparazzi are and so on. He he doesn't live that sort of life. I think the spotlight sometimes has been difficult for him, hasn't it? It's it's obviously if you're playing snooker on the television, you're going to become well known. Certainly, if you do, if you win a lot of tournaments, but it's not something he necessarily has sought or that sort of life.
0: No, I I think he lives. He likes to live a relatively quiet life. He likes his running. It it, it keeps him, uh, uh, keeps him fit. keeps keeps his mind. Clear to to some extent. I think he overdoes it at times, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, 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 overall, it, it, it's it's good. It's good for him. Uh, I, I don't think he's he's much of a run for the trappings of success.
1: And also the hanging about at, at venues. He's never been a fan of that, has he? No, doesn't doesn't like doesn't like that. So, where does he stand in the in the all time pantheon? It, it comes down to definition, I suppose, but greatest player ever best player ever how do you how do you put it well the 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 only
0: true test is what somebody has won uh, and uh, related to the, the the era in which they were they were playing I mean I think that uh, the, the modern heroes Henry O'Sullivan Davis were all considerably better than Joe Davis who, who was still beating the, the, the players who, who, who were in, who were in front of him Um, so Hendry in the modern era seven world uh, six masters five UK's is is ahead of O'Sullivan on that basis who's won five world five UK's five masters Um, but if you're talking about somebody actually at his best it it does become more subjective Mm -hmm. Um, but I I, I think that, that, that Ronnie at his best,
1: is the best. He's not playing right at this moment, but we hope that he he will return. Many times, Clive, we've been at press conferences where he's basically announced his retirement over the years and he was doing it when he was a teenager. Did you ever take any of that seriously?
0: Not, Not in the early years, no. It was just a symptom of his dissatisfaction with how he was playing and knowing that he could play an awful lot better.
1: But he, he he has taken time off, and I, I know that, because he, he told me, he does actually watch the snooker on the TV, so the, the bond that he has with the game is real, isn't it? It's not something that can just be broken, and he must miss it when he's not playing.
0: Well, I, I would have thought so. Um, but he, he he's only really interested in peak performance. He, he, he's not really interested in, in struggling his way through some title or other, assuming he could even do it, Mm. bearing in mind the opposition that he faces these days.
1: But that, in a way, that's sort of a a bit of a recipe for unhappiness, isn't it? Because you can't possibly play that well all the time. You know, Someone like Mark Williams, quite often in his career, he would scrap through a few rounds and then he'd find real form towards the end of a tournament. But it's impossible to play Ronnie O'Sullivan's best snooker all, all the way through a tournament.
0: Well, perhaps I could put it this way, uh, uh, play at a level that, that satisfies him for, for the moment, that, that's uh, probably more like it.
1: But we've seen him play what we think is brilliant and he comes off and says, oh, that, that wasn't very good.
0: Well, it just shows the, it just shows the the standards he judges himself by, and and sometimes you get people who are very self-critical who criticise themselves before anybody else can, and I wonder if sometimes this is a hangover uh, from his father because his father was very exacting. Uh, critic, you know, he he would he would focus on the things that he hadn't done rather <laughs> things that he that, that, that he had. He would always saying, "Well, you know, you've won you've won that, but now you go on to the this it's the next one." I, I, I wonder if that was that's been overdone a bit and it's left a residue with Ronnie of, of, of an excessive self-criticism.
1: We haven't seen him play, obviously, for a while because he hasn't played since the World Championship. But have you noticed any any small decline anywhere, or, or, or is he still sort of doing the business as far well as you're concerned? Well, uh, as you say,
0: he's not played a match for six months, uh, and he's been certainly been playing very well in exhibitions, a couple of maximums, five centuries, and eight frames, all that sort of thing. But I, I really don't take don't take much, much notice of that the, the, there was a time maybe about 4 or 5 years ago when his long potting started to, started to go but he, he, seemed to get, he seemed to get it back um, although he was fading again towards the end of last season and it, it's always questionable if somebody steps away from the game the, the longer you leave it the, the, the more difficult it is to get it back
1: I think one thing that, that has changed possibly was after when he lost to Mark Selby in the World Final because, as we've already said, he took a year off, he won it again, you know, and, and struck the fear of God into a lot of the other top players, not just the players down the list, but the other top players. But the other top players saw Mark Selby beat him in a World Final. It was noticeable last season. Okay, Ronnie played great to win Champion of Champions and UK Championship, but the Masters in the semi final, Neil Robertson basically took him apart. He was superb and clearly was not overawed. Then we saw Judd Trump beat him in the, in that Grand Prix final. We saw Stuart Bingham beat him at the Crucible. I suppose it's a sort of a domino effect in a way that once players see that he is beatable at the top level, that they feel more confident that they can do it.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's always a combination, isn't it, of, of, of somebody playing well and the, and the Chappies beaten playing not so well. And in the, in the latter half of last season, after Christmas, in fact, O'Sullivan um, uh, uh, didn't really. Uh, produce produces best
1: mm. You're supposed to sort of decline by, by the time you're 40 but we've seen with John Higgins that's not necessarily the case when you're one of the greats I guess the question really is how long can Ronnie O'Sullivan carry on?
0: The, the big question is how much desire has he got uh, and I think it, it's not so much a desire to win titles because that was what was driving Hendry and in fact it was driving him mad because, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the, the reason that Hendry retired was that not because he wasn't still a good player, but because he wasn't w- winning titles. Uh, O'Sullivan, I don't think, has ever been driven, certainly not to the same extent, by titles. They're nice to win, but but uh, uh, above all, it, it's he's driven by um, the quest for excellence. Mm. And uh, it, it's a question now of, of how long he can actually achieve that excellence. Uh, I don't think he'll be one... For scrambling along in, in, in second gear when the, time, uh, when the time does come when that is uh, I really don't know but uh, I would think he, he's got two or three years he's in very good physical shape that, 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 that should help him but of course the day does eventually come for everybody
1: and it comes when you have to start looking for something else. And of course, he's he's got this sort of media career going now. With Eurosport, he presents uh, the program. He's done some punditry. I think a few years ago, he would have been an unlikely candidate for that because he wasn't necessarily the most reliable person. Maybe, but actually, he's. T- I think he's taken to it really well. And and the thing is, he is one of those people. When he talks, you do listen.
0: Yes, uh, and uh, like you, David, I, I, I. I, I... Wouldn't have had him down as somebody who likes to sort of sit in a studio for for two or three hours watching somebody else play, and then. But but he he does seem to have adapted to it uh, pretty well, and uh, I, I think he, I think he'll he'll always, he'll always love snooker, and and maybe it's a, maybe it's a good thing that he's, uh, he, he's he's dipping his toes in the water of punditry now.
1: Well, a lot of people have opinions on his career. Some people would argue perhaps with his talent should have won more but you look at the, the records and, and, and the, the achievements and they're substantial finally how would you sum up Ronnie O'Sullivan's career and indeed his importance to snooker he's been a tremendous influence
0: in terms of of the publicity that he's drawn to the game, um, you could almost argue that in some ways that that, that he's drawn too much because uh, a lot of the newspapers from their coverage seem to believe that he he's the only one who can play the game at all uh but 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 he, he has been immense um like like the the great figures in 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 other sports uh you you need these you need these superheroes and uh, uh for Snooker, you know, despite all his trials and tribulations off table, you know, Ronnie has been a superhero.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a great achievement that he's, he's kept going. There have been a lot of dark moments that we talked about, but he, he, he's still going okay at this very minute he's not playing, but I'm sure he'll come back in 2016. We hope so because uh, we love watching him. Thank you, Clive, for discussing Ronnie O'Sullivan, and happy birthday, happy 40th birthday to Ronnie, and thank you to you all for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.